Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvasinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. Curious about how authenticity and self-awareness can enhance an athlete's performance? Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, where we help young athletes be ready for every next step in the game of life through mental performance coaching. In this episode, we're privileged to host Yuri Koskak, a life coach and former table tennis professional From the importance of authenticity in high-pressure environments to understanding the nuances of self-identity, Yure shares his unique journey. Stay with us as we delve into the world of self-awareness, authenticity, and athletic performance. Let's build your foundation with Yure Koskak. Hello, Yure. How are you? Hey, Michael. Thank you. I'm great. It's great to have you here. Um... We didn't see each other too long ago. I was on your podcast. It was a great conversation. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we have the same uh, sort of uh, spirited dialogue here. And uh, I want to give our listeners the opportunity to learn more about you. Uh, so I guess to jump right in, I-, I would ask you, you're a podcast host just like me. Um, what inspired you to start the Being the Genuine Athlete podcast? Yeah, I'm also looking forward to our uh, recording now. Um so to answer the question, it's actually quite simple. It's being genuine. It's being authentic. Uh, it's what I have lacked in my beginnings or middle uh, of my career as a table tennis uh, player mm-hmm. with myself, of course. Uh, and I'm not talking about having a big ego, which I had, but not in that way of being arrogant or something, which I was. Um, <laughs> it was more in uh, not being congruent, coherent, uh, in tune with myself. Uh, It was what I thought I needed to be or to present or to show in order to achieve a result. Uh, It was more this inauthenticity of understanding what it takes to get the result. And this is where most of my struggles, actually all of my struggles came from. And that's why I decided to create a space, a genuine athlete, uh, being the genuine athlete podcast in order to help so many athletes that suffer uh, with thinking that they need to be this um, and they they want this, they want to achieve this, but they behave like this and they have this big gap that they are not aware of. And this is where I was suffering and closing this gap when I learned that this is all it's all about in life. 
you become more genuine, more authentic, more in tune, aligned, connected, and then things, matches, performance start flowing. So this is the main intention. That's really interesting. You know, I've had a number of guests, you know, before uh, I've had the chance to speak to you who've told the same story. I had uh, Olympic, uh, an Olympic fencer uh, who had a very similar story about his path to the Olympics. And ultimately, it wasn't until he really uh, found his purpose in life and sort of was looking at his values and, and what he wanted to be as a person that he started to perform in the way that he wanted to. Uh, I had a football player, American football player, who was the same. He was so focused on his the outcome of becoming a professional here that he lost all focused on every focus on everything else, right? So like, what you're describing is not uncommon, uh, and I definitely want to hear more about that that journey from you know where you started to how you got to where you are today. So can you take us back to sort of early in your life? When did you start playing t- table tennis? Uh, as I was, I think, eight, nine years old, we got a flyer in our, uh, in the apartment, in the building, we got a flyer in our um, postal box. Uh, the club, the local club was inviting. That was beginning or end of the 80s or beginning of 90s, somewhere there. And I was already playing football with my friends in a club, in a, the best club in the area. It's a small, actually, village town of 15, 20,000 population. And I was already an athlete. Before that, I was, you know, like a kid, always active, playing, jumping, uh, playing baseball. We did our own bats at home from wood. Uh, We played with tennis balls in a small park. We lost all the balls, of course. We played basketball like kids. We did Mm -hmm. our own uh, these goals uh, for soccer, you know, from Europe as I am. Uh, so we enjoyed a lot in nature, in sport. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I felt myself as being an athlete already before I knew what it was. Uh, and I felt that actually looking back at it now, I was an authentic, genuine kid, genuine athlete. Uh, but then, you know, with uh, table tennis, as I began to train more uh, more constantly, more consistently as well, uh, I left football because I was playing like year all together football and table tennis and my mom said you know what you're a, you come home from football everything's green everything's muddy i think you should stick at table tennis so it's a bit of a responsibility or fault of my mom and and her washing <laughs> her washing style cleaning clothes style um so yeah i stuck with table tennis i began to train good i was very diligent a workaholic from my parents um born on the 8th uh, in in April eight, uh, that means number eight is your very analytical um, approach to life. As I was, so I had everything under control in table tennis. I liked that. I was alone uh, be- behind my side of the net and table. Mm-hmm. Um, individual sport and also team sport a bit. We played a lot of team uh, events, uh, leagues and stuff. So this is slowly how I went from a kid. To, uh, from football player then to a table tennis player. And already with the age of 12, I began to train several times per, per day as well, two times per day. Right after school, I finished 2 p.m. I had a training 2.30 until 4. Then I had training again at 7. So uh, I began to train a lot already in the early age, 12, 13. Then I was in national selection with my 
age of 14, the, the cadets or how it's called, I don't know, under 15, and then as well under 18, and then under 21. And then I was always among top 10, 15, 20 in the country, never actually made it to the A selection of the seniors. I was there a big kind of sometimes uh, close to that. I was training in the national center of table tennis with all the other um, team uh, members of the selection of the team of the country and with my club uh, I was always top 4 in the in the league in Slovenia we played also some international european cups uh, leagues uh, traveled a lot with table tennis as a junior already on all these tournaments uh, the the international ones and then further on I went to um, when I finished my studies as a professor of physical education uh, i graduated and everything with diploma i was 25 and i had this strong desire to change the environment and already through the whole year uh, leading towards the new season the season ends in june the new one begins in september i made all the preparations and plans i graduated in september and i already had a club actually in spain in june but that was a big step for me because I left my I left my home club, my home environment, which I always thought I needed to be there. I'm not allowed in a way to leave because they invested so much. They, you know, I was getting payment already as a scholarship as I was 15 years of age. I got like 100 bucks per month for playing for the club, like a scholarship, mm-hmm. an athlete one. Uh, so in that way, that was a huge step for me. And that's actually where things started to open more in this way because i left the environment the known environment uh as i was playing in 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 spain um and i'm actually jumping over so many steps and so many points that happened in between it's just like a chronological uh, uh, report of my career um and after one year in spain i decided to quit table tennis Uh, i just stopped playing i just played some trainings match trainings before the match that i went to play again in spain so the second season i stayed in spain uh, but living at home already and then slowly i began to play back for a couple of years two three years began like a coach as well a trainer coach for for young kids um i played the first league again with the other club and then i just stopped because i went completely pivoted completely my life to another area being uh, energy spiritual traditional chinese medicine all in this area and i sort of i've had enough of table tennis for 20 years lifestyle so i just went to the other side and never looked back yeah i you know before we were recording i read a, a really uh interesting article about you um that was written about you and that sort of it highlights or sort of takes talks about your transition in that sort of 2007, eight period and how you found your way out of uh, table tennis. But to go back to the beginning, I, I guess I have a bunch of questions. So when you decided to focus on table tennis, did you want to stay playing football or, or, or were you okay with the idea of specializing in table tennis? Um, the term of specialization in the early nineties was not as familiar. Well, not in my family or in my area, 
you're just stuck with a sport, stuck in a positive way. I mean, you stayed mm-hmm. with it. Uh, you had a community, you had support, you had coach, you had like the environment. Mm-hmm. So we enjoyed it. We loved it. We all loved the table tennis, playing table tennis. Some of my old friends still play it in their 40s, 50s. They still play the first league. I'm like, has time stopped or something? <laughs> They're still playing the same games uh, while I'm already away from that uh, life in a way. But um, yeah, I stayed. I never looked back also mm-hmm. on football. I always loved football. I played it in primary school, high school, always. We also played it on some table tennis trainings that we had, sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, we always loved, we all played football. We are in love in football as well. But it was never like my goal to be any Messi or any Maradona or anything like that mm-hmm. in that way. Um, also in table tennis, uh, I, I had some idols, but not in that kind of obsessive way. I was more focused on myself, how to, because if I'm investing so much time and I just, I was driven by something, which I found out later what it was, uh, that I just stayed there and I played and I trained. I loved hitting that ball. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed, uh, I observed, I had some amazing uh, players around me, seniors that guided me as well as a kid. Uh, I entered quite quickly in this uh, national selection team. So it was a fun period of my childhood, teenagehood, towards the pu- through puberty and adolescence, how I developed through that. Okay. And and w- at what point, and I know, I don't know much about table tennis as a sport, and certainly I would imagine it's a little different from country to country, but at what point did you have a sense that this is something that you could be really successful at, very competitive, really good at? I think almost immediately, because uh, I saw myself as a kid and then as a teenager, I saw how competitive I was, how uh, angry I was while losing. I didn't want to <laughs> lose. How I loved uh, training and perfectionalizing my my strokes and my movement. How I loved uh, learning, uh, listening, observing. Mm-hmm. So quite early, I knew that I have something in me because being so angry when you lose, and not, I'm talking about positive anger, uh, is, is something that gave me already in the early age, uh, like being a teenager before 15, uh, a certain aspect, and then when I saw that I began to play good and won some matches and began to, you know, step up the ladder on the ranking list uh, and got into the selection, the under 15, I saw that that's something that I might be uh, doing, but still, I wasn't so aware of all what it takes because I was already so much in it that I didn't it didn't come to me as a burden or as a job or as some uh additional obligation i was already like a kid so much in it that it didn't represent to me as to some athletes later represents because even when i was still playing uh, as, a, as almost 30 years of age it never struck me as some obligation i was so adjusted so uh, accustomed to it it was a habit for me that it, i just loved it i just stayed there so well, i so i, I I mean, obviously you left, you volunteer, you voluntarily left the sport at, you know, I, what, what year was that? It was in your twenties. First time 28. And then I was 31, something like that. Okay. So like at that point, you know, like, well, let me ask you the question this way. At what point did you start to think about the fact that maybe you were, you were sort of tiring of 
table tennis and you were ready maybe to make make a change when did that when did that occur i think i had a first like a huge breakdown but not like leaving the sport when i was 17 i think maybe 15 or maybe 17 somewhere there it happened because if you're a national selection, you play the whole year and then you go train the whole June, July, you have a European championship for under 15, under 18. And so you're in August, you begin the preparation with your club for the new season for that, that begins in September. So in August, beginning of August, I was sick of everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't take time off. It was already a couple of like seasons. I think it was 17, couple of seasons that I did the whole year through. Uh, like table tennis, table tennis training and all the time. So I got so sick of it, so full of it that I had like a breakdown. I was already overburned at the age of Mm -hmm. 17. And uh, I had, I must also mention this, that since I was 11 or 10, I had every year at least one angina and one flu, at least, if not two or three. So I was already overburning my system, over mm. um, using, abusing my system in school, being, you know, the academic wise, mm-hmm. like the best perfectionist. And then in table tennis training and competition over the weekend, when I rested, I didn't know how to rest. My resting was watching some series on TV or, you know, playing football. <laughs> that was my right. resting. So that was the first time that I figured, oh, something's like, hmm. If I'm having a breakdown and I'm my system is overridden, something's going on. But then, of course, I was playing. I was noticing more as I become became more wise and more experienced through the years. And I studied a lot of sports psychology, mm-hmm. uh, and and I did the diploma also on the pre-competition anxiety. I had like 300 uh, uh, questionnaires put out on the world student world championship. Uh, that was in my country that I used as to gain a lot of info for my diploma, my thesis, my my mm-hmm. uh, my uh, my this research analysis of pre-competition anxiety in table tennis. And uh, then when I left uh, Slovenia, something like uh, and my club, my whole town, something like clicked. I played perfectly in the Division Three third league in Spain. I didn't lose a game up until like 40 games won in a row. Uh, although in these 40 games, I had many games that I could have lost and I just sort of broke through. I won. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wouldn't have happened. That didn't happen priorly in my career. And then after this season in Spain, I uh, went, because before I went to Spain, I went, uh, I visited, um, I attended a London uh, education a certain education curriculum, Landmark mm-hmm. Forum. And that opened my eyes even more. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I attended additional these, a workshop, Design Your Life. And through that, I came to this Landmark Forum. And then in 2008, I attended the second part of this Landmark Forum. Uh, and this like really opened my eyes even more. And where I decided to join the third level of this curriculum, which is not three days, like the first or the second three days, but it's the third one is three months long. It's a self-expression leadership program, Mm -hmm. S-E-L-P. And that is where I was living more in London. It was finally uh, June, July for me uh, and beginning August that I didn't have any table tennis. And I was like, I was riding a rickshaw. I was driving a rickshaw. I was a taxi driver in London. I read about that. That's, because Im- I that's needed incredible. To, yeah, I needed to survive somehow. I didn't have, yeah. you know, any 
savings or my parents couldn't help me as much. I already finished my school. I played in Spain. I, you know, I didn't earn a lot of money in Spain. So I spent it all, everything uh, spontaneously all along. Mm -hmm. And then I was living in London and I attended this uh, leadership program where I needed to be a leader for myself and uh, to create a certain uh, program or a, or a humanitarian or charity kind of project through that leadership program in London. And I, of course, took, took on uh, this rickshaw driver taxi style of life and, and also creating this project. And that is when, in that period, it clicked me because I had this leadership program. I was educating myself in the afternoon. My my life from age of 10 or 11 was like, yeah, from age of nine, actually. Uh, 7 p.m. training table tennis every day. Maybe also in June, July, additional morning, afternoon, evening, three times per day sessions. So... Actually, then it was first time after more than 15 years, 16, yeah, more, 18 years that I actually had like time off. I didn't play anything at 7 p.m., which was like stuck for mm. me. 7 p.m. training. It's no rain, uh, snow, was that whatever. Was that difficult for you to not have something to do at that point in that time of the day? No. Or I was driving a rickshaw or I was having this education or I was at home with my friends in some London suburbs suburbs uh, enjoying life and slowly it began to hit me and i don't know what happened it was also a part of that education that i just had a moment of i don't know lightning struck me and i called my new boss old boss in in spain i said i'm i'm not completing the contract i'm gonna finish playing table tennis it was a very uh spontaneous and a very um uh, not uh, what's the word um im im impulsive uh reaction mm -hmm. actually uh that it surprised even me it surprised myself uh, as well uh i did the project the 24 hour playing table tennis with my friends i even called the olympic and world champion if he wanted to attend but it was uh, the beijing olympics uh, held at that moment so this was the time that i clicked and then afterwards mm -hmm. i never played table tennis uh, the same again. I never mm -hmm. changed the same again after that pause. Uh, it's like like a lot of things fell off my shoulders. I didn't train every day. And when I played, I played with much more enjoyment, with much more like routine approach, mm -hmm. like completely flipped. And then I played, as I said, additional two, three years and trained some, some uh, young athletes, kids. And then I just stopped. Then when right. I stopped, it was a normal transition. The last transition, it was like just, it, it like I had, I needed this uh, middle transition, and then it was the huge one. So, but but it sounds like when you made that phone call to Spain to say you, you're gonna you're not playing anymore, it doesn't sound like you regret that decision at all. From no, what I can tell. no, because it, it as I live and as I have, I'm forty now uh, in my age. And I've observing, retrospecting my life, my decisions, mm -hmm. whatever I do, I do it. I'm not, I have doubts. I'm a critic. I'm a skeptic. I'm this and that. I'm worried. But what I do, I do. I don't yep. step back. I don't step off. I don't change my mind or something. Or I don't, you know, do right. these things. So I did it. I just stepped into it. Yeah. I, I think, I think the word that comes to mind in all of this 
story you're telling about yourself is commitment, right? Like you're somebody that once you committed to table tennis, you were committed to it. And then when you took on this new life and you moved to London and you started, you know, thinking about this change of, you know, your life going into something new and stopping playing, you were committed to it. There was never any uh, regret uh, about it. And that's, I think that's, that's wonderful, right? It sounds like you've been through a lot of, you were, you went through a lot of challenges along the way that where you use is breakdowns, right? Or, you know, there's a lot of stress in the system and you coped with it, right? But then ultimately when you decided, Hey, I'm going to move on. It wasn't like, is this what I should have done? You were ready. And then you committed to the next thing that you were prepared to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I stopped first time in 2008, uh, as I mentioned, I already I still played uh, some matches in Spain. I went a couple of times, five or six times to play in Spain uh, because I didn't want to, you know, cut everything away mm-hmm. in a way, not being bad um, athlete or player for that club because I already signed the contract. I needed to fulfill some parts of it, but I didn't train anymore. Actually, I started working in a restaurant with a diploma in my hand. I was a bartender, never had a single minute of being uh, educated as a bartender i started working alone with a chef in the kitchen and i had like 20 or more ish tables to cover but i spoke three foreign languages english spanish german and serbo croatian and slovenian so i was a professional in being a bartender and in putting out the tables and and uh, setting up the tables and food and Drink. So that was my new profession then in 2008. And then 2009, end of it, I began to play again. I began to be a coach of table tennis. And then 2011, I just cut everything, never looked back, really never looked back. Uh, and, and, and I want to talk more about that because I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in what you're describing in terms of the way you approach things. You know, at that point in your life, when you were playing table tennis, like you said, I think you said maybe around, you know, in your teens was the first time maybe you had like really started to sort of have some doubt or have some breakdowns. Like what did that look like in table tennis for you when maybe you had a breakdown and how would you, how would you deal with it? How would you cope with it when, when things were sort of falling apart for you? Um, I'm going to tell you a story when I already worked a lot on myself and I mm-hmm. didn't play table tennis and uh, tennis uh, table tennis anymore. It was 2000, I think end of 2013. Yes. End of 2013. I didn't play table tennis already for almost two years and I was working a lot on myself. I was already a mentor, a coach to other people, but I still had after, um, these after, um, earthquake, uh, rumble of table tennis and my life and mm-hmm. a lot of cleansing because I was in another education in energy wise and I was approached quite heavily on myself uh, and I began to read a uh, journal several journals that I wrote in between my career and my childhood and teenagehood and I wrote and I and I read something that was like a consistent uh, pattern that I recognized that was I was 31. 31, 32, yeah, almost 32. And I read these journals when I was back 12, 14, 15, 16 years of age. And they all they all had the same patterns because uh, whenever I had a crisis uh, of bad results or bad feelings in my table tennis career as a teenager, already going to the national team or being there, uh, being good in the, under the 15, under 18, um, I had the same patterns of crisis. I lost some games, 
I, I didn't have the mental, you know, awareness. I read some books, they helped me, but I mm-hmm. used all that knowledge from a book, how to be confident of some psychology, not maybe so much uh, sports psychology, but some psychology because yep. I was yearning for that knowledge. I saw that it's not just this white ball and hitting it and hitting it a million times a day. It's something <laughs> else needs to be there. I was missing. Yeah. And my coach, my teammates were more like, my coach was back of because he was not aware of this knowledge so much or he didn't show it or express it and my teammates were like don't worry just play like in that mood uh more relaxed and i was so into it so ambitious i needed everything and i couldn't get it and maybe nobody spoke about it in the 90s you know in that mm-hmm. was 1995 1996 so these patterns that i figured out while reading these journals were always the same crisis the same pattern that happened to me uh, because I had a breakdown five years prior to the breakdown that I mentioned before. Several, several of them. Uh, my my results went down and I didn't know what to do, how to train. I still went to training or mm-hmm. I had an angina, my body, you know, checked out or something. Uh, or I did some stupid thing that I injured myself, like kicking a table tennis table and breaking my uh, big toe on my foot, you know, because of anger or frustration more. Sure that's destructive so all these patterns were like opening eye opening for me and heart opening um and then uh what else did you ask me about this how i went through and how yeah how did you deal how did you deal like deal with it it sounds like a lot of the way you dealt with it when you were playing when you were younger was anger right like when yeah. things built up yeah. the anger was a way to release the 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 emotion of it yeah, anger, frustration, disappointment, uh, and journaling. Not every day, uh, but I journaled when I felt, when I needed. It was maybe for two weeks and then not again for two months and it's like this. But that's helped me to recognize a pattern. I think what's interesting there, so I'll sort of, I, I want to point that out from a sports psychology perspective. A lot of times I'll talk to my clients about journaling as a way to not only release the emotion, but to collect the data, like you're saying, right? You, the, when you journal, right, you're collecting data and you start to see patterns. What you've described though, is you didn't really look back on those patterns until it was much later in your life, right? So using a journal, it's not only writing it down, but also using it and reflecting on it in real time. So that if you would have noticed that pattern when you were younger, well, maybe you wouldn't have done anything up about it because you were younger, but you definitely have a better chance of addressing it if you see these things coming up and then you realize it while you're playing versus 10 years later where you go like, oh, I see the same thing over and over and over again. And now it's, I get it. I understand that I'm older, more mature, more educated about it, but I wish I could have done something about it when I was younger. Exactly. But also if I did recognize a pattern, I always said, I don't have time for this. Like Mm, many athletes do. No time for dealing with this now, with this shit in me. I just need to train. It will, you know, go away. I have to do more, right? Yeah, do more. It will go away. Everybody goes through it. You know, this is a shit storm. Just, it will pass. Just keep on going. Keep on digging. It will go away. But it always came back. Sometimes a couple of times in a year. Sometimes a couple of times in a month. It came back. Certain emotional damaging and emotional immaturity and not understanding the emotions and always this emotional drama reaction that 
was overburdening and overtaking me in my responses. So, I mean, I'm not going to talk about myself, but I will just say this from my own perspective. I relate to that so much. I had that experience in my own life where I would continue to go through these patterns in my life. And it wasn't until I was capable of recognizing it, but also capable of doing the work emotionally to get through it. It wasn't until that point that I had a breakthrough, which is something that you know, in terms of reading this article I was reading before we got on is that's something that comes up too, right? It's the breakdowns, but now you had this breakthrough or breakthroughs and now you move on to this next part of your life. It sounds like that breakthrough in your training, your sort of self-awareness really allowed you to move to the next part of your life, which clearly you're, you're in a much, it seems like you're in a much better place, a much more, you know, content place than maybe you were while you were an athlete struggling. Can you talk about the breakthroughs that you've seen? I had a lot of breakthroughs while playing table tennis, result-wise, and also spiritual-wise, uh, intelligent-wise, emotional-wise as mm -hmm. well. But the thing is that as an athlete that I was, I was quite dumb because, because <laughs> I could have used all of this info, data. I could have used all of these breakthroughs, but uh, the goal was always to win. The goal is to always just compete and win, compete and win and train and compete and win and always suffer. Like always, I'm exaggerating, but in that way and not taking the time to reflect, to notice, to understand, to connect the dots like I was doing after the career or just before I ended. Those two years were like a balsam, if you can call it like a balsam, how you say it, like a, like a bandage that you put over the career because those two last years that I was playing, I really enjoyed. I, I didn't have much fear or any at all. I wasn't worried. I began to enjoy in table tennis. So it was like all the years came together and all already some part mm -hmm. of the spiritual awakening came together and I could enjoy the last two of my years of playing, coaching kids and students. I was also coaching students playing table tennis. So that was somehow like, uh, yeah, like a bandage on, on that. All those years of having breakdowns, having breakthroughs, but not allowing, you know, because table tennis, results, uh, a career, academics, this is more important than how I feel, what I feel, how I always have the same response, how mm -hmm. actually my teammates were already joking at me about or my coach, uh, because I also did like when I was 15 years, 40, 15 years of age in already in the national selection under 15, I was doing yoga. I went to do, I had a train, I had school 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then 2.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. training. Then I went uh, to yoga at 6 p.m. class, 7 p.m. I had another training of table tennis. And on that yoga class, sometimes I just slept. We, you know, in yoga, you do this first relaxation. Everybody was doing the exercises, <laughs> all the other asanas. I woke up after half an hour and like, oh, okay, they let me be. I was with some old people. It was a nice young teacher of yoga. We didn't have like you needed to change the lifestyle to be the yogi, but that sort of gave me something. But what happened? Every time I found a cure for me, for my results, because it was always, I need this book to win. I need this yoga in order to win. I need right. to eat this in order that I will win. Winning was above all. It was not the process. It was not the becoming yes. someone, the character like we talked in our podcast. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was so much this crucial thing. I see that so much in the athletes that I work with, right? And I, I would call that 
for lack of a better way to put it, a perfectionism, right? This, this belief that it's, I have to do more. I have to win. I, ha- I have to win at all costs and I have to do more in order to get there. Right. And so, right. Rather than enjoying the process of being an athlete, enjoying the process, you're chasing a result that's out of your control. Right. And I think the yoga example, the story is really interesting to me. Cause I think like you needed that, right? Like you needed to go, you needed that rest because you were running on fumes as an athlete. And, but for you, yoga was, I have to go to yoga so that it can help me win versus I need to go to yoga because I need to relax. Yes, Michael, (laughs) but, but there's a big, but as I was talking, whenever I found the cure, may it be a book, a person, food, uh, talk, conversation, journal, or yoga, I used it just until I won. When I won, I dropped it off like the the worst friend, like someone who abused me, and I never looked back. And then I was once again mm-hmm. falling down in the pattern until I found a new cure. Like I was a junkaholic jumping from these uh, cures that uh-huh. only allowed me to get that fix in a way. And when I got it, I was like, oh, I got this now. Well, you got shit, Jure. And I needed <laughs> so much time to realize yes. so many losses, so many breakdowns, so many breakthroughs that I finally figured out, at least hacked myself. Because what happened once, I was doing yoga then for maybe one, two months. I, then I won the national championship. I was the best. I was seat threes, but then I won it. And I won it in a way because under 15, because I was looking at the ball, I took a deep breath. I was doing yoga for three three months before, prior. And I won that tournament. I was losing in many games. Everybody was like, how can you win this match? You're in lost position. I just said, I'm doing yoga. I don't know how. I'm just breathing. I'm just calm. And then when I won it, we went to the European Championship. Forget about yoga. And then I remembered a couple of years later, playing the first league. I'm, I'm already 19 or 20 years of age or maybe 20-ish. And of course, I remember I need to do yoga. But what happened? Being a bigger body, like 15 and 20, 23 of age is different in a body and also producing of some emotional state of being and energy. Mm-hmm. I did yoga, but I did yoga for like several months, not every day, but I did a relaxation. I did this, I did that. But what happened? Yoga helped me to suppress so much rage that when it was, oh, when I was so full of rage already because I didn't, you know, filter it mm-hmm. i didn't ventilate it in any match i had good games i had bad games but i was very good like perceivingly good but then i remember it's like now it's like happened like five minutes ago but it happened 17 years ago or more <laughs> i lost the game that i could have should have won and i took that big bottle plastic bottle of some juice it was like three quarters full like more than a liter of water in uh, juice in and I just, that was the moment that I had a big breakdown. I just took it and I slammed it so that that juice flew all over the two table tennis tables, over every <laughs> spectator that was there, over my mm-hmm. coach. And they said, oh my God, you're really crazy. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> but nobody's helping me because I don't know how, I don't allow, I don't understand. And everybody yes. just expects that I will have it under control and control. I will handle it. And I always needed to prove I can handle it. But I always knew, what if you can? And you don't. Look, once again, you don't. This Then this bullying, this beating up came more into practice, the subconscious, the patterns. So this is 
what I needed to mention regarding these cures and how it went. Yeah, no, I think that's really important because I, I work with so many athletes too who try things and that either they they don't get the results right away stick, and they want stick with them. They right, they don't get the results right away and they drop it or they don't want to do or, it or they do results. They results get and results. then they say I got the results and like you said like I just dropped it, right? Versus this let's just be cliche. consistent with it. And and it's listen, it's human I think it's human nature, right? Now some people are lucky we live in I a world now. I think it's stupid human nature. It's not human. <laughs> I think it's like Einstein said, uh universe and human insanity has no limits. I think it's it's not as it could should supposed to be, Michael. Yeah. Let's not yeah. put it there that it's human nature. It's stupid human nature. We can we are more wise. We can be wise or much yeah. more. Uh, absolutely, right, but it, it takes it takes the awareness of it, right? And that's the key. It's like um I don't know if you're a uh, if you're a fan of uh, John Kabat-Zinn, you know, mindfulness, but there's a book called uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are, right? What's the point? The point is, is that, you know what? You can run away from it or you can do all these things, but you're still, you're still with, you have to be okay with yourself on the inside, right? I like the and song. I, the song is, uh, wherever you go, you always take the weather with you. <laughs> if you're a shit storm, you, it's there. It's either right. in Caribbean or in USA or in it's, Europe or in Asia. It's that's you right. Because you, it's you. you can run, you can run and hide. Yeah but it's not going anywhere until you face it and deal with it the right way. So, so talk to me about how you became a life coach. Like what led you to that and sort of what's your purpose and what you do today? I think I was born into it. As I remember, I was age five or six. I was observing my friends and I already wanted to be a coach of some kind of something, mm-hmm. a team, a leader. I always had that in me. Uh, whichever coach or whichever professor was in my life crossing paths, excuse me, or a teacher, I always observed and just soaked in the information of how they were leading subconsciously and a bit consciously. Mm-hmm. So um, all throughout my career, um, we need to emphasize that to athletes, take time, give space, no rush, because this is the main reason that we suffer that we lose, lose not just games, we lose mm-hmm. our bodies, abilities. We, we injure not only physically, emotionally, and mentally. I wanted to have so many times a psychiatrist, not mm-hmm. a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Myself, I knew that I needed someone who's like dealing with severe problems because I impose them on myself. So this is how all of this burden, and thanks God I didn't have cancer in life, Mm-hmm. through which I could grow, but I had cancer in my mind in a way, mental one that I used to as, as a, as a, what's that called? Uh, that you put in soil that then it grows that fertilizer. You know, fertilizer. So I fertilized with my insanity, with my <laughs> incapability of not understanding. I read so many things. I talked to so many people. I gathered information. So it was like a natural pattern path for me journey which I was already born into to be who I am. And I just eventually just began to use this table tennis as a platform, uh, as a platform in which like people go to swing pool, to swing pool, to swim, people go to gym, to lift weights. Mm -hmm. I began to use table tennis and then every other activity that I did as a platform in order to grow myself in awareness, Mm -hmm. spirituality, conscious wise, Mm -hmm. to lift my subconscious level higher, 
uh, in that way, I became this life coach that now understands with so many personal experience, yeah. with understanding the purpose that I was born into in a way. And some people say, I don't know what I was born into. Yes, you do. Just look at your shit life or shit stories or that you sell yourself or shit situations because that's what's putting you there. Some people, God forbid, have some disease. Some people have losses. Some people have this kind of stuff. But this is your purpose, where you are put. So we all have something, some adversity, some challenge that actually is a fertilizer. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I, I think the thing that holds people back, and I, again, I can speak from my own experience, I think is fear, right? The fear of failure, the fear of like what's the unknown, what's going to happen if I go and try to live my purpose out, right? And if I think about the bartending and the rickshaw story and all of that, like you needed to do that in order to get to where you wanted to go. You were willing to make those sacrifices. And I think a lot of people And I didn't see them as a sacrifice. Well, that's the irony of it, isn't it? But but I think a lot of people would because like, you know, if if you're somebody, you know, so like I'll put it into the perspective of changing a career. And I guess that you went through that same thing. But like I changed the career. And I think when you when you think about changing your career from something that maybe is more socially acceptable and more stable. I would tell myself stories about like, well, what, what does this mean? What am I going to do? Like, what are people going to think of me? Right. And, and why would I leave this career that I was making all this money in and now move on to something where I have to start over in my forties. And now there are things that I do in my life personally for work that, that allow me to continue on and, and pursue this journey of like, I'm trying to like build this, you know, this practice, this business. People don't see it, right? Like the the side jobs, the side hustles, the you know the sacrifices that I make. But I do it for me because I know, like, it's just a means to an end. But the people who are scared are going to say, like, why is this guy like doing all these like you know menial jobs, or why is he doing this when he could have just made his life easier, right? Like, I think a lot of times yeah. look at success in a monetary way, or they don't want to make the sacrifices, and they're not, or they're not ready yet, right? And I think it is a process, unfortunately. Or fortunately, there are people like, I think, coaches, any coach, life coach, sports psychology, whatever it is that you do, are there to help us build our awareness and then build the tools to make those changes that we want to make that are aligned with our purpose. Mm -hmm. Yes. In my favor, it goes that I first jump and then I ask the questions. I first do and then I'm wondering, why did I do it? So my mind or my actions speak louder first and then... Then I think about and calculate and analyze. And that's in a way a curse and in a way a blessing. Yeah. Uh, how you take it and, and in which, which level of, uh, of my life I was uh, as I could understood it. So all this that I did, the rickshaw, the, the being a bartender and doing some other things, uh, coaching students, uh, playing table tennis that never understood mm -hmm. table tennis. Like, you know, students also have some physical education classes and they took the table tennis one. And because I knew that I would, I could be the best coach or also give them so much because I had some experience mm -hmm. and I was coaching some students that didn't even compete in table tennis. And I did all that. So I never took it as a sacrifice. Like I said, because of my character, I always jump first and then I look at it backwards sometime later, sometime even never. So all of this, what I did was just the normal flow of uh, points of my life, steps of my life that happened and I didn't interfere in a way. Of course, I had doubts. I was skeptic. Of course, I had my devil speaking to me, what will others say and this, but 
I, I could somehow always block those things out and just go my way because right. no one's, I'm an Aries. I know was gonna, you know, tell me what to do. Well, in a way. <laughs> we we we're five days apart in the birthday, so I'm April yeah. on April third, and I, I I hear a lot of myself in your story, yeah, right? Yeah. Once I get an idea into my head, you're not stopping me. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it, it could be that paradigm, you know, explanation of of this horoscope astrology, but uh, sometimes it's nice to have these tools. Yes. So yeah. who's gonna well, tell me? And I'm 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 gonna go. So. But I, but I think I think you put your finger on something really important, which is to say everyone's journey is their own. And really, at the end of the day, the only person's opinion who matters is mine, is yours, mm -hmm. for yourself, right? Everybody else's opinions, they don't have all the information. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. times, to tie it back to the subject of being an athlete, I think a lot of times athletes, young and old alike, are so worried about people's opinion about them or the comparison to other people yeah. that they're not focused on their own development, whether the result comes or not in some ways doesn't matter because it's out of their control. What am I doing to develop myself so that I feel good about where I'm at? And I think that's exactly what you described. And now you're in a place in your life where all those experiences and all the things that you went through, all the breakdowns and breakthroughs led you to this place where you're at now. And that's a, that's a blessing. It's something to be grateful for. And it's also instructive for others who have doubts about, you know, where their life is going or where they're going to get to. Yeah. It's, um, life always, uh, what's the saying? If, if you're not feeling good or if it's not resolved, it's still not over. Yep. Just keep going, keep living. Yes. So, um, I've had some guardian angels, whether they were outside or inside of me, talking to me, uh, that I always felt that I'm going through something difficult in order to get the experience that I could then share and 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 contribute and help mm -hmm. and so give support to others through my own experience. Yes. So whether it was the biggest, you know, shitstorm, as I mentioned many times, <laughs> I, in the middle of it, I just said, it's not only for me, it's not only right. against me, it's... It's actually for everyone else to, to, it's be, to be shared, shared it's, with it's others. It's my fertilizer. Absolutely. It's my curse that it's a blessing in disguise. So I just, okay, yeah. okay. And, and it's always like that. When you let go of the resistance, it goes away. So yes. if I knew all of this, Michael, when I started right? playing or <laughs> who knows what knows what if, you know, well, would happen. And that's that's a part of the reason why I got into this, you know, to this career later in life is because I was actually I would start to think about like what if I had somebody to guide me through these things when I was younger, you know, that I didn't have. I tried to do it all on my own. If I had someone like me on my side, would I have had no regret? Would I have gotten to a higher level? Would I have been happier? I don't know. That's why I do what I do. And now I take all my experience and knowledge and I share it with other people for the purpose of helping them, right? Like that's the beauty of coaching. And, and I guess I have two more questions on that. You know, um, one is, do you have people in your life now, mentors, coaches that you rely on to help you in, in terms of building your business, the podcast or whatever it is that you do in life? Uh, first, I'm going to mention back in the 90s, we had VHS tapes. <laughs> we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have nothing. And we didn't have like, access to some information. I read some books about confidence yeah. that my mom had. Uh, so what's available now to these athletes, it's huge. 
the the resources and sources and and every the the collective you know library of knowledge uh, for psychology mental training and everything uh because i watched uh, the best table tennis player from sweden which i then called for my project he actually answered uh that was a part of this uh, landmark forum education mm-hmm. uh, i watched him on vhs tapes how he played his forehand and backhand and that was all i had you know yeah we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have anything. And I had some people that were around me that I mentioned. My coach was also good. Although I wanted to have a psychiatrist because of him and for him sometimes. All I wanted to sometimes to kill him. But, mm-hmm. but that was all a part of it. He gave me a lot. And my uh, fellow uh, colleagues and, and athletes, players, friends, each of them gave me some part of it uh, on my journey. And then later on, of course, I was searching for many coaches gurus or some teachers mm-hmm. uh and i found some yes in the pre in the past 10 15 years i found some i connected with some i paid a lot of money to be with some in in connection because they were precious and they had the price that they had and of course i got huge result out of that it was mm-hmm. another big commitment that i did first jump in and then think about it but yeah. it it paid uh- out a lot that i cannot even Imagine I see some of my peers, some of my friends, not that they are bad or something, but I see the situations of life that they go through, that I go through, and how they respond and where they are and how how is their consciousness able to reflect something. It's Uh not that I'm saying now that I'm something, I don't know what more, but it's how and what I'm doing and what I I managed to do out of my subconsciousness that I Mm -hmm. understand now because there is always like this. Athletes train a lot and they do everything the best way. They have the team, but if their subconsciousness, so consciously they are aware, they are strong, but if their subconsciousness is still stuck in the childhood and it still sucks and it's still, I'm not good enough, or I'm a perfectionist, or I need to be perfectionist, or all of these, you know, programs and and messages and and, uh, not filtrated uh, nonsense, it's still there alive in them and they're not becoming aware of it. They're not taking it out of the subconscious into consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's going to tear them down like it tear yes. me down just before the match point, just before the game, just before, just before the end line, the finish line. This subconsciousness will F you up yes. if you do not become more aligned and in tune and in terms with what and how it is and how it functions. Yes. So this is about becoming aware. And sport, is such an amazing platform through which you can get so many beneficial data, information that can help you so much, not just for your sport, but for For life. life. And this is what I took out and what I'm still taking out, what I'm still benefiting from, you know, like, uh, I don't know who, I think Jesse Owens or who who said, suffer now and then you'll run this race for four minutes and then you'll be a champion for your whole life or something like that. And that is what I take. Even though I was suffering not all the time, of course, of my career, but sometimes I can now reap so much benefits from there's this. Value because, in the su- there's value yeah, in that. Because I can look at it from a different perspective, perspective and I allowed myself to look at it from a different perspective. And I see so many people stay there. They just allow that subconsciousness and their consciousness and their you know life to stay somewhere and they are fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think I, frankly, you know, from my own, my own experiences as a coach, like that's, that's a big part of what I do too, which is to say, 
I, br- I help that young person bring the awareness to the fact that, you know, they think of themselves one way, but I help them shift their perspective about, hey, like this isn't as bad as you think it is. Like you're doing good things and there's value in what you're doing, your experience and helping them to sort of raise that, that, that awareness, right? When you have another voice in the process, it's different than I'm trying to convince myself of it. Because if we try to convince ourselves, a lot of times we, we don't let that happen. Right? You cannot convince else- the un- inconvincible, and that <laughs> right. is the subconsciousness. You need yes. to over-hypnotize it, over-drive it, over-reprogram it, takes, it and, and understand to reprogram, it. To reprogram your subconscious, and I've been through that process as well, it takes a long time and mm-hmm. a lot of consistent effort, not only in terms of the self-talk and messaging to ourselves, but through our actions. Right? Am I doing consistent positive action every single day to the point where my self-esteem is really good to the point where it doesn't matter whether I win or lose or I generate a, a, a new client or not, or I, whatever, I still feel good because the actions I'm taking, I know are good actions and I know it's going to pay off in the future. and I'm not going to worry today. Most people say I do something today and then it doesn't pay off today and I'm a failure. No, you're not. You, you had a good day. You did what you needed to do. Yes, you didn't get the feedback that you needed. If you do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day, eventually it's going to pay off for the rest of your life. And I think that that's hard for a young person or anybody because they because want results now. Yeah, yeah, results and the lack of awareness, this blindness, being blind, not yes. feeling yourself. I just saw a kid 15, 16 years of age playing tennis with my girlfriend as a coach of his coach of tennis. And he said, I missed everything. And I'm like, I'm watching you play. And in half an hour, you missed maybe three times really bad, like forehand. Maybe 10 times it was out, but I saw like 25 in. Right. I don't know what you're you're talking about. You focus on the failure and the negative. Not only focus, it's not being able to see. It's you're so blind to the feelings, to information. We distort so many information because Uh subconsciousness is there to S and F us up. (laughs) <laughs> if you're not aware of it, you're going to get sucked. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the last question, I, I always ask the same question to all my guests in, I modify Ooh. the form a little bit. Oh, final. Final question. What is the one piece of advice that you would give to a young athlete over any? If you had to pick one thing to tell them, what would no, you tell them? No, come on, Michael. You're, uh, asking, a hard question. you're asking a chef, what is the <laughs> one recipe, one ingredient in that recipe? Come on, you cannot do that. <laughs> you know, there's not a one thing. It, it's not a one-off thing. It's not a one-in thing. It's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to mention some of them, uh, like I did already during our talk now. Uh, rest, uh, give space. Uh, time down, like slow down, feel, and also allow, journal, you know, do a lot of all these small steps mm-hmm. that will bring you like more alignment with your, that you're also your subconsciousness will raise up and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and mature that not only consciously you will be strong and, and to do everything and do more so that your, your subconsciousness will not win you or overtake you, that you will bring it on. And all of these small bits and pieces daily, in and out, taking mm-hmm. in the process, everything that we've talked, 
I'm going to the one thing. We'll get that one thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm just channeling to, towards that one. You're thinking through so, it. I understand. Yeah. So in that way, um, there's all these small details that bring so much. Like if you just observe the nature, how does a tree grow? How does a flower grow? How does a plant grow? How does a little small ant bring or how does a small bee create such a wonderful life? And it's all uh, like a mosquito. Mosquito actually does the same thing as a bee. It's quite mm -hmm. annoying to humans, but it still does its thing. Uh, and a mosquito is not here. It, like I think Dalai Lama said, uh, if you think that you're too small in your life or in your you know environment, just think of a mosquito in a room while you're sleeping, while you want to sleep. Try to sleep. So, all doing all these mosquito and small things in your life will eventually put together all this puzzle will bring all this picture together. And if it happens while you're in a career or going towards the height of your uh, supreme career, uh, you know, life results, wow, mm. you're being so blessed. If it happens at the end or after the end of the career, whatever, as long as it happens, you became wiser, you connected the dots and you can then begin to share. If it's, as I said, before you reach the height of your career, Way to go. You're a talent, you're blessed, and every star is put in your place. So, but this is the, the small bits and pieces. Nice. I would say this is the one thing. Doing, being, feeling, sensing, connecting, all these small bits and pieces gives you so much. It's not just, you know, one thing like winning. Winning, like we said in our podcast, is a consequence. It's a result. Uh, of putting all the ingredients, go into a kitchen, please, athlete, go into a kitchen of a famous chef and observe how they are famous chef, why they are famous chef, because they pay attention. I like this uh, terminology of English language, paying attention, because if you mm -hmm. don't pay attention to the details, you're going to be paying quite a lot in your physical suffering, emotional drama or mental, you know, lack of awareness suffering. So paying attention. I'm going to you steal that. If you don't pay attention, you're going to pay the price, right? Like, yeah, and I get that. either you're paying to a sports psychologist you're, or you're paying your injury or you're paying somebody else, you know, the physiotherapist, you're paying all the time. Yeah. So like I said, visit a chef, visit a carpenter, uh, like an athlete, go visit some other people that are maybe hidden, not so famous like LeBron James and, and, and observe them. How the F are they so, hmm, how can they create this soup from just three ingredients? Because they pay attention to details. They know mm -hmm. how to cut. They, they are soft. They flow. They allow the fire, you know, to do the thing or the carpenter or something. It's like Jesus yeah. was a carpenter. So, you know, <laughs> pay attention. If it's, we can say one thing, pay attention. It's a great way to end. I, I love it. So, Yore, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I love, I really enjoy talking to you. I mean, you're such a passionate guy. I think we have a lot of things in common and we we think the same way and it's really fun to talk to you with so much energy so thank you for coming on to the podcast thank you michael uh, it's more than a pleasure actually i had a headache just before the, the neighbors were banging into the <laughs> floor i don't know what was going on i did some detox today but i'm here i i am enjoying more than than ever with you as well so i hope and i trust and i know that athletes and parents who need to listen to this will get the message and begin to pay attention. Or if you don't pay attention, just go to a restaurant and go to the kitchen or just go somewhere. <laughs> just begin to pay attention to nature and you'll get it. You'll get That's what you it, need everybody. to. Pay attention. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
So, what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Yuri Koskok? My biggest takeaway is the importance of self-awareness and authenticity in an athlete's journey. Yuri shares his personal experiences, highlighting the struggle with the pressure to perform and the breakthroughs that come with embracing authenticity. He emphasizes the gap that can exist between who athletes believe they need to be and who they truly are. Bridging this gap is where mentors and coaches prove crucial. I want to thank Yure for sharing his insights and journey with the Freshman Foundation community. You can follow Yure on Instagram at genuine.athlete. For more insights on managing transitions in life, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 69. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.